Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. We're here today with Joni Geltman. Joni is the author of a fabulous book, A Survival Guide to Parenting Teenagers. The amount of stuff she does is staggering. This lady is a professor. She teaches adolescent psychology. She has a blog. She gives these presentations all over the country to groups of parents about topics parents are struggling with and how to deal with them. And on top of all of that, she has a private practice where she works with parents of teenagers who are going through difficult issues. And uh, unlike typical therapists who say, oh yeah, it's gonna take me 15 sessions and we really have to work through this, she does it in one session. Parents write her an email about a problem they're having, she sits them down and says, hey, here's what you gotta do. So really excited to pick her brain on what's going on with teenagers today and what parents can do about it. Hi, Andy. Hey, thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited. I can't wait to talk with you today. Okay. So as I was reading your book, I found myself like, oh, I got to write that down. Oh, that's great. That is brilliant. It uh, makes me so happy. <laughs> where did you come up with a lot of this stuff? And then what inspired you to like write it down and all that? So I'm going to be turning 66 on December 7th. So I've been doing this in various forms for many years, starting off as like a regular, I have a social work degree, but I was, you know, just like a regular therapist in schools and I had a private practice, but I always, adolescence was always my favorite age group to deal with. I mean, I had other, I would see couples from now and now, but kids were really my thing. And I worked in a school, then I started teaching. Some of the people in my class were middle life people changing careers, and they had teenagers. And so when I was teaching human development, and when I'd get to the adolescent piece, they would say to me, Joni, this is like, this is helping me so much in my life, you should go out and teach this to parents. And I just, it just never occurred to me to do that. So they, actually, my students, my graduate students gave me this idea. So I, so one of the courses I taught was adolescent psychology. So I just decided to do adolescent psychology, the parent version. Yeah. And I started by uh, going to public libraries and doing it for free. And that was about 10 years ago I started that. And then, uh, you know, I started, so I just started this whole model and then I gradually added more talks. So I have a bunch of, of these talks. And after I started doing the adolescent psychology one, I decided to start a blog. Yeah. And then, you know, I want to say a couple of years into that, I don't know, people kept saying to me, God, your blog should be a book. Your blog should be a book. Mm. So I really, knowing nothing about publishing, literally took the blog and made it into a book. Mm. And I had also self-published another book called I Get It, Three Magic Words for Parents of Teenagers. You know, what I love about it is that I have a short attention span, and I didn't want to write it for someone to have to sit and read through a whole book. It was important to me yeah. that people, and I, I do parent coaching, and I coach the same way. I, it's not a therapy. It's not counseling. 
parents come to me and say, I'm having trouble with my, I just found a vape pen. You know, I've had this one. It's <laughs> yep, a big one. Yep. Um, you know, I had recently, I had a, a parent who was talking about how angry her daughter was and, you know, they, they were having a, you know, really hostile kind of relationship and the parent, both parents were there. And, you know, I said, Oh, can I see a picture of your daughter? And I could tell that she had a little bit of a weight problem. And I, you know, I just said, Oh, she, you know, she seems, you know, she seems like maybe she has a little weight problem. And then she said, Oh my God, she's five feet tall. She has the hugest breasts. She's so uncomfortable in her body. She won't mm-hmm. wear all she wears is sweatshirts. Kids make fun of her. She used to love sports. Now she can't do sports anymore because she's embarrassed about running. Uh-huh. And so they're painting this picture. And I'm like, Oh, you poor kid. Yeah. No wonder she's angry all the time i said she's got these huge boobs that are getting in her way i said it was the first time in my career i said if you have any money get her breast reduction that's my best suggestion to you you know and and they were like oh my god we would never have you know just would not have occurred to them and they immediately that's what she's christmas vacation she's getting i mean she was she broke down in tears it was like they got her. And that's what my whole uh, philosophy is about. When your kids feel understood, then they don't need to act out. They don't need to get angry. They, I mean, anger's fine. I mean, anger's a good thing. But it's more about when you get why they're showing you that behavior. If you can just take a second and not just react to an attitude, to a lie, yeah. to avoidance behavior, not doing homework or not getting your college, you know, applications in rather than seeing it as laziness or um, whatever. Just say, well, what else might be going on? Mm. You know, this girl's dealing with huge amounts of stress. She she can't even articulate what they are, but she's angry. And so that freed the parents up then to not react and, you know, get into a power struggle with her every time. You know, they can say, oh, I get you're having a bad day. Like, yeah. you know, I'll give you some time. And so I can do that in a session. I don't I don't need 15 sessions. Yeah, to do yeah, that. yeah, yeah. I love that. And I think then that's one of the big things that I talk about with parents a lot is like you can't just launch into something like you have to start with that empathy and mm-hmm. that like making making them feel like you understand them. And it, it's not that hard. It's like my brother right now is uh, he just started working at a suicide hotline. So mm-hmm. he's been, you know, doing the training for, you know, months and learning all these techniques and stuff. And he's like, you know, man, it's really improving my relationships so much in my life. And I'm like, well, what, what, you know? And it's just like simple stuff, like asking them about what's wrong and then saying, that must be so hard for you. And just mm-hmm. like figuring out the emotion behind what they're saying mm-hmm. and reflecting it back to them. And just some simple statement that just shows that... I I get it and I I understand. And that sounds really, really hard. Mm -hmm. Well, I just had an experience with my student. I teach, uh, this semester I'm teaching freshman intro to psych. And it's just chapter after chapter. It's a survey class. It couldn't be, you know, I try to make it as interesting as I can, but the textbook is pretty deep to get through. And so I was having, giving the midterm and a student who has been very assertive in class has a number of times, you know, sort of complained about the work, even though, you know, it's it's just reading the book and doing some papers. It's not that much. And the night before the midterm, I got a text from her and, uh, you know, I'm giving you what I thought the affect was because I could tell from her, but it was basically, uh, I want, and she literally said, I want to give you some feedback about your teaching methods. 
and she launched into, you know, how do you expect us to study for this midterm? And this is too much work. And I got the text. And for the first minute, I was like, you little, you know, I was, right. yeah, yeah, I was like, well, this is college, you know, welcome to the world. This yeah, is, and yeah. I, you know, I, there was a part of me that just wanted to write back and say, well, you've had half a semester to do the reading and I didn't take notes in class. There's really not much more I can do about it. And so I got that out of my system. And then I texted her back. I get you're feeling really overwhelmed. This is a lot of material. And I can see that it's really, it feels hard for you to plow through it. But I, you know, I know you take good notes and I'm sure you'll be okay. The text I got back was, oh, okay, thanks. That was it. Over. Done. And now, you know, you can translate that incident to any situation with a parent and teenager where the parent would probably go into, well, I mean, that's just the way it is. You know, and they, you know, they would feel attacked. Understandably, I felt attacked. And my first instinct was to get defensive. And I think for parents, that's the first instinct because who they are as a parent is how they identify themselves. And if they aren't doing a good job, that that means there's something, you know, they feel, they take that very personally. So I was happy for myself that I practiced what I preach but but I can all but I also gave me empathy for parents to know how easy it is to just want to go for that visceral reaction rather than taking the breath and you know and 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 trying to say okay what's really going on here and once you do that you really can de-escalate the situation It's like that classic Abe Lincoln story where he writes the letter and then puts it away for 24 hours before he decides if he's going to send it or not. And it's nice to happen over text messages, but of course it's more difficult if Mm -hmm. the student is in your face saying you're a terrible professor or whatever. But that is so cool and really effective. And I wonder if you, um, I mean, sometimes you've got to be working with parents where it's like they're, they're getting triggered by their teenager like that. In the moment like that, when that happens and you feel that start to happen, what's like, what do you, what do you mm-hmm. tell parents? Uh, yeah, I actually to... have a strategy that I call four ways of fighting. And there's sort of four of the typical kinds of fights you would get into with your teens. And kind of the one that you're talking about is uh, the saying no fight. Mm. And so what happens a lot is kids tell their parents, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm buying this, I'm going here. I'm, you know, it's because they're, you know, they feel this new sense of power. So they, they don't feel like they have to ask permission so much anymore. It's like, so-and-so and so-and-so are going here and this is where, and their parents were like, I, I don't think so. I don't, you know. <laughs> so there's the, the strategy when you are feeling in control. Oftentimes parents are feeling out of control. Like they've had a bad day. You know, what I say to parents is, you know, you have a life and you bring that life to the table when your kid brings his life into the room. You know, you might be taking care of an elderly parent and you're, you've got other kids who have special needs or you are, you know, your work is incredibly stressful. And so maybe you get hooked into that fight. Um, now, here's what you can say. When you're both in it, you can say, we're both out of control now. We need to take a break. So I tell parents, you bo- you share the ownership. It's not just your kid. It's not like, get out of my face. I'm not talking to you when you're yeah. yelling at me. You know, and that happens a lot where parents will then try to put the stops on it by pushing the kid out. And that can sometimes get into a physical altercation because uh, kids are very motivated to stand their ground at this point. They're not going to back down. Kids are not motivated to stop a fight ever. So it has to be the parent. So the line is, we're both out of control right now. We need to take a break. And then I say, go away. 
Go, don't tell your kid to go anywhere. The only person you are in control of in that moment is you. Yeah. Go take your dog for a walk. Go do a laundry. I, but don't go in the next room. Don't like walk into the family room if you've just had this fight in the kitchen because they'll follow you. You know, kids are very motivated. They'll follow you and I call them the chasers. You know, they'll just chase you into another room. So you need to give yourself time to to quiet yourself and to give them time to quiet themselves. Yeah. You know, I sort of do this joking thing where, but parents have used it and it works, where sometimes kids will not respect any boundary, you know, and parents have not been great about setting limits. So the kids, especially if there's something they really want, they will follow, if parents have gone into the bedroom and closed the door, for example, kids will just go right in. So I say parents, you know, look at them right in the eye and say, you know, honey, in this tone of voice, uh, I'm about to take a shower and I'll be getting naked. <laughs> And if you want to, you know, hang out with me and talk while I'm naked, you know, so that that's the end of that conversation. So that, if I, you know, that's what you use in desperate in desperate situations. Yeah. Uh, then you go back to your kid and now you've had a chance to come down and they've had a chance to come down. And then what I tell parents is don't start in with your agenda first. Don't say, honey, this is what I've been trying to say. I say, mm. don't do that. You walk in and say, tell me what you'd like me to hear. You give them the opportunity to speak first. And then maybe there's something you can work with now. Maybe they've been texting with their friends and everyone's like, oh, my parents won't let me do this either. And my parents, (laughs) you know, and they've gone back to the table and they've come up with a new plan that maybe parents can work with. And then the parent might be saying, you know what? I think we can work with this. Sounds good. Or it's a no. Or it's a no. Mm. But now the parent is in a better position to say, use what I call I get it moments and my book is sort of peppered with them and the other book was called I get it you know is to right. say you know I get I get this is you know I get you're you're frustrated right now this is not the answer you wanted you're pissed at me and you know a little shrug of the shoulders which is sort of the way to parents put the period on the end of the sentence so that they don't just keep going and going and going because oftentimes parents will just over explain over you know and kids are not listening they they stopped at no as soon right. as they have said no, they're done. But if a parent is calm at this point, they can now have empathy. Of course you're frustrated. I, I say to parents, what do you think? Your kid's going to say, you know, when you say no, you can't do it. They're going to go, oh, good parenting call. Oh, <laughs> Thanks for keeping me Thanks, safe. <laughs> yeah. I said, no, they're going to be mad. You know, and I think this generation has a very low tolerance for anger. Mm. They're frightened by their kid's anger. They have a hard time saying no. Yeah. Because they get, they're frightened by the anger, like, you know, where this, especially with things like social networking, rather than setting limits on time, on the number of apps, on which apps their kids are on, they say, oh my God, if I ever tried to do that, my kids would kill me. And it's like, no, they would yell right, and they right. would get, you know, but they have a, a very low tolerance for their kids' anger. Yeah, they're right. scared of it. And I, I don't know that any other generation is that I've seen that in the you know because I have a Mm. I have a long trajectory of of seeing you know what what parents are like over these years and I think that that social networking has taxed parents in a way that they have never been challenged before really been challenged and I think you know they feel powerless so much of the time now and I'm not sure that any other generation of parents felt so powerless in the relationship and there's so much that kids can do and have power from 
that their parents really have nothing unless they, you know, whatever, you know, for me, it's time and opportunity. That's really the only limit. I mean, you know, you're going to give your kid a phone or you're going to, there are going to be some things that you say no to your kid about that you're in control of, but social networking still allows them to do many things that you'll never find out. Yeah, Snapchat right, right. allows them any secret app that, that allows parents to not see what's on their kid's phone that takes them out of the equation. Yeah. I think it's scary. I think parents are sc- more scared than I've ever seen. It's a lot of control that has been given up, I think, that I mm-hmm. mean, you used to be able to control information, what they're seeing, when they're getting it, who they're talking to, what they're like, because they would have to use the phone, right? And, That's right. You could uh, listen in or, or you know, you, you didn't know what they were doing. You know, when they left the house, they didn't have a phone. So yeah. whatever they left with is what they left. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. whatever you, Unless they, they had somehow to... made a different plan pre- yeah. ahead of time. Which all now kids like, do. All you can kids just walk do. out the door and say, okay, mom, I'm yeah. going here, and then text your friends and say, Which actually, is normal. I'm going here. Right. Which is totally I mean, there's totally the normal range of those kinds of behaviors. I just think the things that kids see as options now because they can, you know, we weren't, we were all sneaky, but not, we couldn't go to great lengths to really hide that much from our parents, you right. know, and, and there's a lot of opportunities to be able to do that now. And that, that's a scary equation. We know the teenage brain is just like, social pressure oh wow that looks fun and exciting ah, i gotta do it uh and you know they're not gonna say wait a minute let me think about this but if there's some stuff that can get triggered that oh i remember when i worked on this with mom and we talked about this then maybe there's a chance that'll come out there the problem is that most parents go to bed before their kids go to bed. Yeah. So that's a problem. So it's not something you normally would say to parents. Like, you, you can't go to bed before your kids go to bed. Somebody needs uh... to be the awake parent. Parents are just parenting out of fear and not out of patience. And, that, you know, they just don't feel like they have the time to really think about how can I help my kid in this situation? It's just rather, you better not do that. That becomes sort of the go-to response. That is a giant excuse that kids use. You can't shut my phone off because I'm doing my homework. It, we have to do it with our friends. And I found out, I talked to my, it was so interesting because I was talking to my college students. I have two sections. So I have like 60 kids when they're freshmen. So how many of you would say to your parents, you know, I, you can't shut my phone off because I have to do, you know, homework with, on the text, on a group text. And every hand went up. And I said, oh, how many of you were doing homework? None of them. <laughs> they said, we lied. We just lied. We just said that we had to use, and our parents bought it. Oh, it's homework related. And what I say to parents is, I don't want kids doing their homework with their friends for their entire evening. Even if they were, even if they were telling the truth, they're not learning how to problem solve on their own. And you can't read in a group text. You can't integrate information in a group text. I mean, so it's 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 not really, you know, if they're going to do a group project, then get together, have them come over, and do it in the kitchen from seven to eight. You know, and you need to give kids device-free time to just kind of calm down because they are on an adrenaline high all night long. You know, kids are terrified of sleep now. I mean, we do have a lot of kids with sleep disorders because they're so afraid of shutting down. Hmm. And that the only people that can do that are parents. They, that's just one of those things they have to step in and take control of until their kids start to internalize those controls on their own, which they will. Yeah. When they're obsessed with 
of the posting and the reposting and the likes and the, it is anxiety provoking. These days now there are so many parental controls and kids almost feel a sense of relief, like somebody is taking some control here. And parents have come back to me and said, you know, it was hellish for a month. But then afterwards, <laughs> our kids came to us and said, you know what? It kind of feels good. Yeah. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get unlimited access to all the interviews I've conducted. It's completely affordable. And your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.